Please pray with me. Father, we sing those words from our hearts and from our experience. And we remember this morning that they were first spoken by Jeremiah after he found himself in a pit after great sorrow and unceasing anguish and captors had taken the city and he was in great pain and in the midst of his weeping he said nevertheless I have hope in you your mercies are new every morning great is thy faithfulness you are our portion Father, declare to our souls today that you are enough for us and that in you we already have everything we need. We thank you for your great faithfulness and pray that you would make us faithful. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So on the big scale of optimism and pessimism... Where do you fit? Are you an optimist or pessimist? I ask because one of those online surveys says that this has something to do with your longevity. If you're a glass half full person, that probably means you have less stress in your life. You will do better. If you're a glass half empty person, it may be the other way. Let me just give you a a definition of optimism to help us this morning. George Sweeting said, optimism is when a 95-year-old man marries a 35-year-old woman and moves into a 12-room house right next to an elementary school. Now that's optimism. But faith is even better. Faith, the Bible says, is when a 99-year-old man and his 90-year-old wife Believe God when he says, I will give you a son and your descendants will be not only enough to fill a house or to fill an elementary school, but as many as the stars in the sky, as many as the grains of sand on the seashore, so shall your descendants be. Stars in the sky. Would you open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11? We've been looking at the hall of fame of faith, great women and men of God who trusted in God. And I want us to look today at the story of Abraham and Sarah. And as we continue in our window series, you'll notice up in this Old Testament window, there's a picture of a ram's head there and then above it some white spots and uh, the artist has depicted that as a reminder of the Genesis 22 story of God's provision on Mount Moriah. And then the spots above are the reminder that Abraham's descendants are as many as the stars in the sky. Let's stand together to read God's Word today. Hebrews 11, verse 8. Hear the Word of the Lord by faith. Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. 
By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man and he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. You may be seated. God is good all the time. So to be in the hall of fame of faith... You had to have remarkable trust in God. It's interesting that Abraham and Sarah get more verses in Hebrews chapter 11 than anybody else. And if we ask why, I think the answer is they get more space because they had more faith. You remember their story from the book of Genesis, how on on numerous different occasions God asked them to trust him first to leave Ur of the Chaldees and go to a land that they had never seen, to leave their family behind, their faith traditions and the idolatry of Ur behind, to follow the one true God. And they got up and went. And then when God said to them in their old age, I'm going to give you children, and there was no possible way, there was no earthly way, but when there was no earthly way, God said to Sarah, nothing is too hard for God, and he invited them to laugh with him as he fulfilled his promise in their lives. And then again, as you remember in Genesis 22, that remarkable story about God saying to Abraham, after Isaac's already been born, I want you to take Isaac up on Mount Moriah and sacrifice him on the mountain. And Abraham obeys, and God intervenes and protects Isaac's life and says to him again, because you have not withheld your one and only son, I will make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky, as many as the grains of sand on the seashore. May I ask you this morning, has God kept his promise to Abraham? We might, if we had the ability through DNA, try to trace Abraham's lineage. We would find that the people who are Arabic peoples descended through his son Ishmael. We would find that through Isaac, the uh, Israelites of the Old Testament and many of the Jews today descended directly from Abraham. We might find in Jordan today those who descended from Esau. Uh, Abraham's grandson, the Edomites, that area. Some of you were with us when we went years ago to Petra in 2000, and that area is the area where Esau's descendants settled. And they are all descended from Abraham. And did you know after Sarah passed away that Abraham remarried and had a lot more kids? That's the rest. Read that in the book of Genesis. It's an amazing story. He has lots of biological descendants. But in Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, that the great access to God that Abraham's descendants have experienced is not primarily biological, but spiritual, that we too are sons and daughters of Abraham by faith. Our children sing at Vacation Bible School, Father Abraham has many kids. 
And many kids has Father Abraham. And I am one of them. And so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Are you a daughter or son of Abraham? Because if you are, it would seem to me, am I wrong to assume, that there would be some family resemblance, that there would be some something in my life or your life that people who know us would say, I see Abraham's faith in your life. For instance, as children of Abraham, it would not be unreasonable to expect that by faith we might leave something in order to find God's better plan for our lives. This story is recounted in Genesis. It tells us that we come, as Cademan's Call has written, from a long line of leavers. After all, we have the story of Abraham leaving Ur of the Chaldees. Bill Toller, who preached to us recently, this remarkable man of God and biblical scholar, says Ur was an amazing city. Archaeologists have discovered it had technology way beyond its time. Ur was a much better place to live than the promised land to which God called Abraham and his descendants. In fact, it goes on to say that Abraham, who probably left a house with a foundation, with uh, rock walls, ended up living the rest of his life in a tent. Not only did he live in a tent, but his son lived in a tent. Not only did his son live in a tent, but his grandson lived in a tent. God did not, as Stephen said in his sermon in Acts chapter 7, and it was uh, hazardous to Stephen's health to preach that sermon. He uh, was stoned to death. But he said, God did not give Abraham so much as one foot of ground. The only thing that he owned was the cave at Machpelah that he bought... There by the great oaks of Mamre, he bought a cave to bury his wife Sarah in. And that is the only land he owned in the promised land. Now imagine a long line of leavers. But the story is better than that. The New Testament tells us that Jesus Christ left the glory of heaven, left his uh, place as God, and came down among us and pitched his tent among us, that's the word in, in Greek. He, he lived among us. He sojourned here on earth among us. And then he looked at his disciples and said, not admire me. He never says that, but follow me. And remember, remember what James and John, Peter and Andrew did? They left their fishing boats and their nets and their jobs and their families So that they might go and follow after Jesus Christ. And are you telling me that God isn't asking us to leave anything behind as we follow Him? I mean, that would be inconsistent with the history of God's work among humankind. We see it in our missionaries who go. But I wonder if you and I can identify this willingness to leave something behind in order to follow after God. I remember a friend of mine who came from the southeast. He was a magnificent student at both Southwestern Seminary and then at Baylor when we were doing our Ph.D. work together. And and at the end of that, there were churches in the southeast that were clamoring for him along the eastern coast there in South Carolina and North Carolina and Georgia and Florida saying, come and be our pastor. But there was also a church in Amarillo, Texas, of all places. And they asked him to come and be their pastor And he called our mutual mentor and said, I didn't come to Texas so that I could go further west. I was always planning on going back to the southeast. 
My parents were planning on it, and my wife's parents were planning on it, and we only got to stay over here for 11 years of seminary and Ph.D. work because we promised we were going to go back home. And do you know what our mentor said to him? He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And my friend said, well, what do you mean by that? You surely don't mean that I'm supposed to go locate my life and my wife and my family out there where they have dust storms in West Texas where you can smell the cattle all day long. You surely, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That is all I have to say to you on this subject. And for the last over a dozen years, my friend has been pastor of a great church there, not only influencing the people of Amarillo, but West Texas, and I could argue the whole state of Texas by the ministry that God has given to him. Have you left anything behind to follow after Jesus Christ? It says he left, and he didn't even know where he was going. That's what it says there in verse 8. God didn't even tell him. He marched under sealed orders. For those of you who are soldiers, you know what that means. The commanding officer gives you a sealed envelope and says, hand it to your uh, commanding officer there when you get where you're supposed to be. I'm not telling you. I have friends who've gone off to war occasionally and didn't know where they would be located because they weren't told. This is what God says to Abraham. March under sealed orders, but here's the subtle promise. When you get there, I'll show you where you're supposed to be. What is God saying? When you get there, I'll be there. Oh, this is a great promise, isn't it? It's a great promise that that you and I would have this promise from God that when we get where He wants us to be, He will be there. Listen, you don't want to be anywhere that God doesn't want you to be because God will work in your life where He wants you to go. I remember uh, Moses praying in Exodus 33, verse 3, when God said to him, I'm not going up with this people. And, And Moses said, if you don't go with us, don't let us go. I don't want to go anywhere without you. People ask me, what's the vision for Tallowood for the next 20 years? Let me tell you, our vision is God. God. And as we focus on him, I don't know, I don't have a 20 year blueprint, but I'll say this. I don't want to go anywhere that he's not. I don't want to do anything except what he calls us to do. It's a great plan for our lives to plan to be where God wants us to be, to leave the idolatry of this world behind, to focus on this one true God and to sing, be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Just God, be God to us and let us follow hard after you in obedience to you. And notice that it says Abraham went. He left Ur behind and he obeyed God. And you and I must bind ourselves to God through obedience. This is what James means when he says faith without works is dead. Faith will issue forth in obedience to God. I love the story of the little boy who was riding on his tricycle round and around the block and the constable saw him, thought he might be lost and stopped him and said, son, what are you doing? He said, I'm running away from home. He said, really? Well, you just keep coming by. He said, my mother said, I can't cross the street. Her command in his life was protecting him, wasn't it? 
And God is not going to send us somewhere that's dangerous. Can I just say something to you? If God calls you to leave something, it's because he has something better for you where he wants you to go. And Abraham could have spent the rest of his life in relative opulence and luxury in Ur of the Chaldees and never known what it was like to walk with God day by day and find him faithful, providing for his every need. But he chose to be obedient to God and his name is written in the hall of fame of faith because he did. Now, will we leave anything to follow after God? As children of Abraham, it seems reasonable to me that we would bear the family resemblance of choosing to laugh with God as he fulfills his plan in our lives. Jürgen Moltmann said, God wept with us on Good Friday so that he might laugh with us on Easter Sunday. Our God knows what our pain is like. What was Abraham and Sarah's pain? It was the realization of their childlessness, and God again and again says to them, you're going to have so many descendants, they'll be like the stars of the sky, and you can't blame Abraham for just being honest with God, saying, you know, all I really have is a servant named Eliezer, but I'll take you at your word, God. And it says in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, he believed God, and God credited to him As righteousness, you go on and read in verses 13 to 16, and at the end he says, because they were willing to trust God, God was not ashamed to be called their God. Because they trusted God. Along the way, there were some moments there, I love in Genesis 17, 17, when, when Abraham just starts laughing. He says, okay, God. If you say so, but I'm 99 and my wife is 90, but if you say so, we're going to have lots of descendants. If you say so, God, and then when Sarah hears about it in Genesis chapter 18, uh, she laughs. And in Genesis chapter 21, as you read the further story, God says, why did Sarah laugh? And Sarah says, I didn't laugh. It's kind of a comical story, really, isn't it? And God says, I heard you laugh, and I'm going to have the last laugh. And you know what they named the boy that was born? Laughter. (laughs) Isaac means laughter. And God didn't want to laugh at Abraham and Sarah. He wanted to laugh with Abraham and Sarah. And he wanted them to join him in his great plan for their lives. And as you read this story there in verses 11 and 12, it says they were past age and and God enabled them, gave them the power because, because they considered him faithful. They trusted God. They believe that God was faithful. This is what's at stake with our uh, choices that we make. And I just believe that in God, as he works out his plan in our lives, there are just things along the way that make us laugh. I was thinking about that lady I read about this week, 63 years young, who gave birth to twins this week. It was on the Internet. It must be true. It was there. It's a, st- I mean, it's a story. It's reported that the 63-year-old, had. that would be somewhat of a surprise, wouldn't it? Would it be good news at 99 to have to change a diaper? I mean, I don't know, but I'm thinking that's, that's a little bit outside the boundaries of what we might expect. I was talking with some good friends in the church this week. We were visiting at Barnes & Noble, of all places, and uh, they said, you know, we're 78 years old, and we're raising a 12-year-old. Pretty amazing, isn't it? I remember uh, nine years ago, ten years ago, when I got a phone call from Louisiana from my cousin I hadn't seen in 20 years, and she was expecting a baby, and she was very sick, and she was very worried, and we prayed together on the phone. And then I remember ten more years pass, or nine more years pass, and I see her. It's, I hadn't seen her in 30 years, and she shows up at our house, and she brings this beautiful little nine-year-old girl with her, and... And I remember helping them find a place in Round Rock and then getting a phone call on Christmas Eve and all of that, never knowing what God had in store. 
that he might give us the honor and the privilege of raising a little girl. Melanie and I have just laughed out loud about how God has worked and, and in his own way, in ways that we would not have expected, surprised us by joy. Did you know that uh, Kaufman Kohler says in his, uh, in his Hebrew grammar that the Hebrew language has more words for joy than any other language. There are, there are 27 words that come from 13 different roots that speak of joy and rejoicing. C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. And I'll tell you that God is working in our lives so that you and I will learn to laugh together with him at the things he brings in our lives. I was thinking about how our kids have helped us to laugh and I read these great truths given to us by children. Listen to this. No matter how hard you try, you can't baptize cats. See, it sounds like somebody tried, doesn't it? When your mom is mad at your dad, do not let her brush your hair, okay? You can't trust dogs to watch your food. Let me just say, you couldn't at my house. I can promise you that. Never ask your three-year-old brother to hold the tomato. Don't sneeze when someone is cutting your hair. And you can't hide a piece of broccoli in a glass of milk. Sounds like somebody tried, doesn't it? Well, kids bring laughter into our lives, and we give thanks for that. And uh, we are surprised by joy at the way that God works in our lives. We don't know what God has planned, but we do know this, that God is working that God is working in all things, that God is working all things together, that God is working all things together for good. For whom? For those who love God. Is that you? For those who are called according to his purpose. God is working all things. Not all things that happen are good. We have to acknowledge that today. But it's just like our good God to take bad things and turn them into good. This is the God we serve who invites us as children of Abraham by faith to leave some things behind, to laugh with him. And listen to this, to love God more even than we love God's plan for our lives. You say, but those two things can't be separated. But I beg to differ from you. When God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 22 and said, take laughter up the mountain, Take your son laughter up the mountain and sacrifice him to me. That's a hard story, isn't it? No less a theologian than Larry King pontificated about this recently. Larry King said, I can't trust a God who would ask a man to do that. What do you make of that story? How could he? I mean, you know how you feel about your kids, how I feel about my kids. Take your one and only son up on a mountain and Abraham goes and he says to his servants as he takes his son up the mountain and his son's carrying this wood on his back. He says, we'll be back after we worship the Lord. Now, why would he say we'll be back? Except he had confidence in God. He believed in the resurrection, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19 says. He believed that God could raise his son from the dead. He walks up the mountain, and here's little Isaac carrying the wood saying, Dad, I'm trying to do the equation here. We've got wood and we've got fire, but we don't have a sacrifice. And he says to his son, the Lord will provide. And when he is prepared to take his only son's life, God stops him and intervenes and says, Now I know that you are obedient to me that you trust me, that you love me even more than you love your only son. And God provided a ram in the thicket. In answer to those who say, I just don't believe the God of the New Testament would work that way, I would just say, is it really surprising 
that God would ask us sometimes to suffer in following after Him? The God who gave up His only Son for us, would He not also ask us? First Peter chapter 2, verse 21, He did this as an example so that we might follow in Jesus' steps. The footprints of Jesus lead to a cross. And He invites us to follow after Him. And if you want to talk about the New Testament God and the Old Testament God, here's what I have to say to you about that. In fact, there came a day in that same mountain range. Do you know Mount Moriah? 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1 is the very same hill where Solomon built the temple. Same place where he was about. In fact, the uh, 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 Muslims have a, a sacred space there they call the Dome of the Rock where they believe this. They say Ishmael instead of Isaac. They've got it wrong, but they believe that's the very same spot there, Mount Moriah, that same temple mount area there. But there came a day, thousands of years later, when another one and only son was carrying wood on his back and walked up another little mountain in that same little chain of mountains there. This one was called Mount Golgotha. And he carried that wood all the way up that mountain. But this time, there was no ram. When God chose to sacrifice so that the world could be saved, there was no substitute for His one and only Son so that you and I could never lift our eyes heavenward and say, God, do you really love us? The God who gave us His own Son, as Paul says in Romans 8, and did not spare Him, how will He not also, along with Him, verse 32, give us all things. This is our God who gave up all of His all for us so that you and I might become sons and daughters of Abraham, not by genetics, but by faith, trusting in the God who asks us to leave some things behind, to join Him in the laughter of heaven, to love Him more than we love anything in this world. And I ask you with me this morning to take inventory and ask, do you love any of the gifts God has given you more than you love God Himself? My prayer partner in Austin wouldn't let me off the hook when I said, I think I'm just going to stay right here in Austin. I don't have to go anywhere. And he said, you love this church more than you love doing the will of God. And I said, I could stay right here. And he said, and the wheels would come off. Don't do us that favor. Do what God tells you to do. And I wouldn't wouldn't have missed the last 11 years here with you for anything in the world. But God had to help me release something so that I could laugh with him, so that I could love him even more than the church that I served in Austin. And I loved it a lot because God calls we obey. And when we do, well, we become the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that his descendants would be as many as the stars of the sky and the sand by the seashore. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the privilege of following after you. I ask, Lord, that you'd help us today to be obedient to your call, that we would abandon it all for the sake of the call, That, Lord, we would hold our children who are so dear to us up to you with a prayer of relinquishment and say, God, whatever you purpose for our kids' lives, we say yes to you just as Abraham said yes, just as you said yes to the cross. Thank you for the gift of our kids. Help us today 
to be obedient to your call. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.